This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We have a lot to talk about today. It's a very busy time of the year, and it's been made busier by a lot of the local teams making news, not just on the field, but off the field as well. Be joined here in a little bit by Marcus Fuller, who helps cover uh, college basketball, does a great job of it at the Star Tribune. We're going to break down the men's Sweet 16, the women's Sweet 16, and take a look at Ben Johnson after one season, one year, in fact, after he's been hired by the Gophers as their men's basketball coach. What is in store for year two with Ben Johnson and things of that nature. So looking forward to that visit with Marcus Fuller here in just a little bit. Have a little uh, Wolves talk uh, towards the end of the show. Lost to Phoenix on Wednesday night. Not the end of the world, but damaging to their hopes of getting uh, into the top six. Phoenix, a very good team, but they were without Chris Paul. Wolves were up by 13 at halftime in a very, I think immature is the right way to put it, um, entire game from the Wolves, but particularly the second half. They did not seem like they were ready for the intensity to ramp up, and I'll get into that here in a little bit as well. But first, what did I miss? A couple of notable news conferences on Wednesday, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, the Vikings general manager, met with the media to talk about their offseason, which has recently included the signing of Zadarius Smith. And Carlos Correa met with reporters on Wednesday as well and uh, kind of talked through the process of how he arrived at signing with the Twins, that kind of stunner over the weekend. I want to start with the Adolfo Mensa press conference and then get into Correa here in a little bit. I thought one interesting thing that came from the the Vikings news conference was basically Kwesi Adolfo Mensa admitting, acknowledging that they are trying to basically rebuild on the fly. They, they don't want to take a step back while they're rebuilding, while they're retooling this roster. And that's a that's a it's an ambitious task. It's a dangerous thing to try to pull off, I think, just because it uh, it leaves you vulnerable to you know leaving yourself in that squishy kind of middle where you're you know you're never quite getting over the hump but you're never bottoming out and giving getting some of those kind of premium draft picks that might allow you to start over particularly at quarterback. Um, but let, let's hear from Quasi Adolfo Mensa as he answered kind of the question of navigating this offseason and what the team's kind of outlook and plan is. You know, I think when people look at teams, they can sometimes do it in a very binary way. And they ask, are you either all in or are you tearing it down and rebuilding? And I don't really look at the world that way. I kind of try and, you know, the way we look at it is we're trying to navigate both worlds. We're trying to live in today and tomorrow or the competitive rebuild, however you want to phrase it or market it. Uh, and so I think that's kind of how we've approached this offseason and our time horizons uh, going forward. Now, the logical follow-up to that, like I mentioned a little while ago, is how do you avoid the sort of mediocrity that has plagued the Vikings, frankly, for the last four seasons since Kirk Cousins arrived? That's That's been exactly where they have existed these last four years. The Vikings in the past four seasons, 33-30-1 in the regular season. Um, I mean, that's, that's the very definition of mediocre. They only made the postseason one time, so how... How do you avoid being in, you know, being in that mediocrity? And again, he was asked that, and here is how Quasi Adolfo Mensa answered that question. You know, that's a great question. You know, one of the people 
that I've become close with over the years is Sam, Sam Hinkie. Uh, and obviously, I think when he inherited that 76er team, people kind of thought that they were that that way, that like that eight seed in, in, in the Eastern Conference when you're just kind of mired in, you know, a place of, of mediocrity. Football's a little bit different uh, deal. Um, it's, it's, it's more of a team sport. You don't need that one transcendent player to, uh, you know, become great. But, you know, to, to your point, it's, it's just about adding great pieces, great players around the, the core that we have. And there's ways to do that. There's ways to do that in free agency or the draft or the trade market or player development. And so we're just being careful about that, understanding the reality of where we are and what, the, the, what things give us the odds of getting where we want to be. I know that's kind of a general answer, but, you know, no, there is no fear. There's no fear of a problem as long as you understand the depth of the problem and really how to solve it. Now, listen, it is possible to do that. It is possible to build you know, build something better than what they have been. And they haven't been terrible, of course. They've they've been in contention for a playoff spot in, in largely in, in all of those seasons, even when they didn't come to fruition. So I get why you want to give yourself a chance. And I see, you know, if they looked across the river in St. Paul, they would probably see a team that has managed to finesse that, the Wild. You know, a lot of us were clamoring for them to totally tear this thing down. And they've, they've managed to kind of change their identity, change their roster without ever bottoming out. And right now, I believe they are a bona fide playoff contender, a team that with the right you know, set of breaks could, could make a pretty deep run in the playoffs this year. If they get the right performances, if they get hot at the right time, they can do that. So it is possible, but it is a dangerous place to live. And the symbol of all this, like I said a little while ago, is Kirk Cousins, the quarterback they are paying a lot of money, the quarterback that they extended for at least another year into the 2023 season now um, with, with their moves this offseason. You know, a lot of this status quo roster building, which I think is partly, partly you know, not just Kwesi Adolfo Mensa's philosophy or Kevin O'Connell's philosophy, it is being directed from the top down by ownership, but if that's the space they're going to live in, that's that's the risk they take, and Kirk Cousins being the symbol of that. Kwesi Adolfo Mensa addressed the Kirk Cousins contract extension in his news conference Wednesday as well. You know, and I'll probably never get up here and talk about calls that are made here or not made here, uh, but I will say that, you know, when I got to this building and when I thought about team building with Kevin, it was really just about, you know, we have a really good player. You know, I met with Mike, his, his agent, and we had a great dinner. I mean, we have a personal, a mutual c- connection, so we, we got along great. Um, we just talked about forming a partnership together and seeing how high we can take this thing together, um, adding ro- ro- stability at that position, which is a really important position. You know, I, Kevin has this great term, you know, we do things on our terms. We do things on our terms on the field. And I also think that re- applies to team building. And so, you know, getting him in the fold, getting him to buy in, I think that was really, um, it was a win-win solution. Again, he gave up things we, we know but to make this partnership work, and, and we're excited to have him. So again, it's not impossible that the Vikings will compete in next, next season and be, you know, a playoff team. But I just don't see the ceiling of this team being anything higher than get into the playoffs and maybe feel fortunate to win one playoff game. And is that where you want to be? Maybe that's good for job security, but is that good in your ultimate goal of trying to win a Super Bowl? I don't think so. I don't, this just doesn't feel like a Super Bowl caliber roster. And maybe you need to tread water for a little while until you figure out exactly what direction you want to go until you can actually do some meaningful things with the salary cap. I get that, but I, I don't like where they are necessarily right now. I do like the, the Zadarius Smith signing. I think that was a good move. Um, it, it feels like they're they're making some real strides with, with the defense, but overall, a little bit too much status quo for my taste this offseason, like we've talked about a few more times um, in, in previous podcasts. And 
interesting to me that the Cuesta de Fomenza basically acknowledged where they are right now and what they are trying to do. And it will be a pretty tall task for them to accomplish what they really want to accomplish this year. Let's move on to the Carlos Correa news conference. I thought a couple things were interesting in that one. Didn't realize how much success he has had at Target Field over the years and how that may be factored into this decision. He has a career OPS at Target Field of 1.205. Yeah, that's not bad. That is the highest of any major league ballpark he has played in in his career. It's just 70 plate appearances, but that's a lot. That's He had five homers and 70 plate appearances. Says he sees the ball really well at Target Field. So that's something to consider as we think about all this. The second thing, I thought he gave some good insights into how this deal came together. It came together very fast. One night, all of a sudden, he's on a on a Zoom call. And let's just let Carlos Correa take it from there. Yeah, for for us, it was uh, it was it was a hectic uh, night to say the least. Um, I remember Scott walking to the house around 6 p.m. and then by 10 p.m. we were in the Zoom call and. Uh, you know, before getting on the Zoom call, I, I walked into the room. I, my wife was breastfeeding the baby, trying to put him to sleep. And I said, babe, um, there might be a big chance that we're going to Minnesota. He's like, just like that? Like, really? Like that quick? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to get on a Zoom call right now. So she got in the Zoom call for a little bit. Um, I talked to Rocco. I talked to, you know, Derek and Thad. And, you know, they made me feel like this was the place for me to be. It's, it's, they made me feel like this was going to be my next home. And, uh, you know, when I got out of the Zoom call, I told Scott, let's make it happen. And I told my wife, let's start packing. Um, we're going to Minnesota, and uh, we're going to go out there and have fun and, and help the organization win. So here we are. Super excited. So, again, I don't know how long he's going to be here, right? He's got this contract that's three years, but it's got opt-outs after the first two years. He might just be here for one year if he gets a mass, if he has a really good year and gets a massive payday from somebody else and he opts out next season. That's, But... For now, if he can be healthy, let's let's just enjoy this. This is a, a gold glove caliber shortstop. He's won a gold glove before. He's an excellent hitter. He makes this team better in 2022. That is the bottom line right now. If he's healthy, if Byron Buxton is healthy, this is a team that has some bona fide superstar potential on the roster, and difference makers are what get you wins in the postseason. So we will see how that plays out. It all came together fast. Maybe the 2022 Twins will also come together fast and be better than we think. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery Day by Marcus Fuller. Does a great job covering college basketball for the star tribune i wanted to talk um sweet 16s with you marcus maybe a little bit of gophers men's basketball as well because i noticed you wrote something today about the one-year anniversary of ben johnson's hire but uh let's start marcus with the men's sweet 16 and what was your impression of the first four days of uh of action in that tournament well you know obviously um you know not having any local connection as far as the Gophers doesn't mean that we're not excited about college basketball and March Madness on the men's side. Uh, the Big Ten, we had nine teams in the tournament. And, you know, to see them uh, fall by the wayside one by one, um, I know it was tough, especially for Iowa fans, seeing Iowa losing the first round after winning the Big Ten tournament. 
Um, but, you know, I, I think having two teams still left in the Sweet 16 for the Big Ten uh, still means that, uh, you know, Final Four berth and, and possibly a national championship, the end of the national championship drought uh, back to 2000 is still a possibility. Michigan is obviously a team that not many people thought would even make the tournament uh, they were, the way they were playing at the end of the year and John Howard being suspended for what happened in the handshake line versus Wisconsin. But they're back in the Sweet 16 for the fifth straight year. Actually, when I saw that stat, I had to remind myself, you know, how successful uh, Michigan has continued to be under John Howard, um, taking over from the John Beeline era. And obviously, Purdue was a team that we, a lot of us thought at the beginning of the year was a national championship Final Four contender. So it's not a huge surprise that they're in the Sweet 16. But the way the upsets were happening, um, you know, everybody was vulnerable. And obviously the most vulnerable ended up being Kentucky, who lost to St. Peter's in the first round. And St. Peter's is still playing in, in, as a Cinderella story in the Sweet 16. So those are the things that stand out to me so far. And uh, my Final Four is still intact. So I, I feel pretty good about that. Well, at least you got that going for you. And it was it was a fair amount of upsets. St. Peter's was certainly St. Peter's over... Uh... Um, over Kentucky in that first round definitely qualified as the biggest surprise. And then, like you said, they're, they're still around one of the, you know, a Cinderella team to be sure. Another interesting team that made it to the sweet 16, Iowa state, right? I mean, Gabe Kalsher and, um, and his, uh, his Cyclones knocking off Wisconsin, another one of those big 10 teams that fell. Yeah. I mean, it just, uh, it just had to be Gabe knocking out the rival Badgers, right? I mean, if, if you listen to him and, or her, saw what he had to say after the game. He said, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Minnesotan. I hate, I don't like Wisconsin, you know, and, and he had that, uh, you know, a chip on his shoulder going into the game, playing Brad Davidson, who feels like he's been playing the Gophers as a Minnesotan for the last 20 years. Um, you know, that, that rivalry continued for him uh, with the Cyclones, and it obviously they would not have advanced without him. He had 22 points in the game, helped shut down, Badgers All-America, Johnny Davis. It's a great story uh, for him. You know, leaving Minnesota was tough. Uh, ben Johnson and Dave Thorson were close to him, having uh, recruited him, and he had played for Dave Thorson, so leaving wasn't easy. Needed a new ch- he needed a change of scenery, and and they went from two wins last year as, uh, at Iowa State without T.J. Otzelberger uh, to 22 wins this year in a Sweet 16. It's just an incredible turnaround uh, for for the program. Chad Holmgren and Gonzaga have been pretty much as advertised so far, but th- things will get a little tougher for them now in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I, I really thought that uh, the second-round matchup versus Memphis um, was was going to be a scare. I didn't realize how much of a scare when they're down 10 at halftime. Right. But, you know, when you see uh, the athleticism and length and uh, disruptive ability, the capability defensively that, that uh, Memphis had under Penny Hardaway, um, you weren't shocked by it. You kind of figured that, you know, they would, uh, the offense, offensive juggernaut that they are, that they would come to life in the second half. And uh, Drew Timmy definitely did that, um, car- put the team on his back and carried them like he did um, in, in, to the Final Four and Championship game last year. And, you know, Chad Holmgren just does what he does. He, he protects the rim. Um, he's a matchup nightmare offensively, um, you know, and he's going to continue to be a major part of their success. Uh, if they want to continue to advance. Kind of interesting, just looking at the brackets and the different regions, just, you know, all over the map in terms of 
seeding. You know, you got the West where it's been all chalk so far, the top four seeds still intact. And then the East, you got, you know, the, was it the, the eight, the four, the three, and the 15 are, are still alive. It just kind of goes to show it, even, the, you know, this time of year. And then you got, um, you know, Michigan still alive as an 11. And then in the Midwest, Iowa State and Miami, an 11 against a 10, will have a chance to go to the Elite Eight. It's going to show that that's how the tournament's supposed to work, right? Well, I think this year is um, probably going to be something that we'll look back on and say, hey, you know, why, why was that the case? And, you know, some of it is, is COVID. You know, they have a lot of fifth-year, maybe in cases six-year seniors, uh, guys that extend their college basketball career. Um, there's a lot more, uh, you know, experience in the tournament than there, there ever has been. You know, it might not all be in-state tournament experience, but it's definitely college basketball experience. And, um, you know, you saw last year's uh, defending champion Baylor get knocked out in the second round by North Carolina. But North Carolina, uh, they have a new coach, but they have a lot of experience on their team. And, they're, you know, they're, they're a dangerous team. UCLA obviously, um, you know, had experience uh, playing in the um, Final Four last year. And they brought a lot of guys back. Purdue, um, you know, up and down their roster, um, a lot of guys have played together for a number of years. And so I think we're seeing that in college basketball more than ever. Um, you know, a lot of these double digit seeds are high major teams that, you know, maybe were highly ranked at one time during the year. And then they kind of fell a little bit in conference play as to how tough it's always is and in high major conference play. And then they've kind of battled back with that experience. Any one matchup you're looking forward to in particular on, uh, you know, as, as the tourney resumes? Well, I'm selfish, you know. I, I just continue to look at my bracket and see where <laughs> I could I could see uh, to avoid upsets, you know. And and you know, Texas Tech and Duke uh, is a game that you know a lot of people, when they look at this last, um, you know, the last dance for uh, Coach K, and they want to see him. You know, I don't know about all of us, but you know, some people just hate Duke and they want to see them lose. I feel like even the people that hate Duke can't. What they want to see, you know, they've got to see Coach K go out on the right foot, right? But for me, not, I not just, me, not me, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I, I, I just kind of felt a little bit sorry for him when he lost his last home game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, and then they lost the conference tournament. Um, but again, I wasn't going to get him knocked, have him knocked out in the first round um, or the second round. But I do that matchup with Texas Tech. I just, I just felt like if Texas Tech made it through, that defensively. They'd have just, you know, they'd just give Duke all kinds of trouble. And uh, I don't see Duke getting past that Sweet 16. Um, so that's a that's a big matchup. I think if they can get back past Texas Tech, they, then they could give Gonzaga some trouble um, in the lead eight. And that would be a really neat matchup because Gonzaga and Duke had already met earlier this year. And Duke beat them. I think, I believe that was their first loss. Um, and that was kind of a nice uh, matchup between Pop. Paulo Bonchero and Chet Holmgren, who were at the time uh, the, the, the top candidates for the number one pick in the NBA draft. So if they were able to meet again in the Elite Eight, that'd be kind of neat. Um, but again, you know, we, have, we still have Purdue in it. We still have Michigan in it. And so I'm watching them closely. Matt Payne has really never been able to get past the hump and, and, um, or get over the hump and, and make it um, to the Elite Eight or past the Elite Eight and get to the Final Four. Um, remember a few years ago when uh, we had the final four in Minneapolis, you know, they ended up losing to, uh, you know, Chris Beard, um, you know, and, 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 and Texas tech. And, you know, he ends up beating Chris, Chris Beard in Texas 
this year to get to the Sweet 16. So maybe that's a sign of things to come. I would hope so, even though it's not in my bracket for Purdue to make it to the Elite <laughs> Eight because I had them losing to Kentucky. Since Kentucky's not in it, um, I feel like they have a good chance for St. Peter's. Nothing worse than those games where you have neither team alive, right? <clears throat> yeah, but when they're playing St. Peter's, you know, like nobody ever had it at St. Peter's, so we're, we're good true. there. Yeah. You're not losing any points on St. Peter's probably. Well, exactly. yeah, it should exactly. be should be fun uh, viewing this weekend as the as we get down to the final four. On the women's side, there's been a fair number of upsets as well. We saw Iowa go out, you know, Caitlin Clark, such a great, you know, such a great player for the Hawkeyes. And maybe selfishly, we were hoping that she and Iowa might get to Minneapolis because that, you know, that final four starts here in Minneapolis in a little over a week. What have you taken note of over on that, over in that bracket? Uh, well, you just said it, you know, there, there rarely are upsets to the, that magnitude. Um, I, I feel like going into this tournament for the women, you know, one of the storylines uh, we felt like was that don't expect to see a, a lot of the top seeds get knocked off early. And then that's exactly what happened. <laughs> You know, I don't know if they got inspired by the men's, uh, you know, seeing St. Peter's win in that first round versus Kentucky. But we haven't seen, you know, that um, necessarily a, a blue blood like that uh, go out. You know, Iowa, I think, um, had a really good run this year with Caitlin Clark. You know, were they a typical two seed? I'm not sure. Uh, but I know who, who was a typical two seed. I felt like Baylor was a typical two seed. And to see them get, get upset already, um, you know, was huge, um, you know. One of their top player, uh, Nelissa Smith, was the uh, number one pick in the WNBA draft candidate. Um, you know, so to see them, you know, get get knocked out, that was surprising. Um, you know, I think obviously if you go back to the Iowa game, you know, uh, seeing that that play out the way it did uh, on their home floor, you know, I was watching that game and I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is what's different about the women's tournament. You know, you have these top seeds playing on their home floor. So, sure. you know, watching them get upset, watching LSU lose as well, um, you know, that was a shocker. Uh, so I think, you know, some of these top seeds, you know, getting knocked off, um, you know, makes it intriguing in the Sweet 16. Uh, Ohio State ended up beating LSU, so that's a Big Ten a foe that the Gophers uh, fans are familiar with. Um, you know, that's on in the Spokane region where uh, st defending champion Stanford is, you know, so if they end up continue to advance, you might see them, you know, battling out, trying to get to the lead eight. Um, but, you know, there's just a lot of uh, intrigue here. You know, four, I believe four Big Ten teams are in the Sweet 16. So, again, a really good showing on the women's side um, this year. I believe they had five or six a year ago. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, so, you know, with that kind of numbers, you know, maybe you'll see someone, um, you know, continue to, to, to advance and, and maybe pull off an upset to try to get to the, the final four. Um, it would be really nice to see a big 10 team in the final four, but if we can't have a big 10 team, then, uh, page, page Beckers, you know, making it with UConn, you know, not only getting UConn back to prominence because they haven't been, they haven't won a national title since 2016, you know, just right. her coming back from her injury, you know, we kind of felt bad that maybe this last season or this season with the, the Final Four being in Minneapolis, you know, she wouldn't be able to play. But she's, I want to say back to completely back to form, but, you know, she's getting there. And, you know, this is a dangerous UConn team. Um, you know, everybody's 
complaining because they're playing in Connecticut, which is pretty much their home floor. Um, so I, a home court advantage. So I think that might play, um, you know, into UConn's favor, um, getting getting through the Sweet 16 and possibly a Final Four. So that'd be a good good story there. It sure would. Well, whoever makes it here, that'll be a fun uh, weekend of women's college basketball here a week from Friday. That begins. The teams get here even earlier than that. Marcus, before I let you go, you wrote recently about Ben Johnson being here for one year. Time flies. It feels like it was not that long ago um, that, that he was introduced and they went through a whole season, of course. And now the off season is as you kind of think about that first year and whether, you know, whether it's uh, things that stood out to you or lessons that he learned? What, uh, what, what comes to mind as you think about that? Well, yeah, that was actually a story. Um, I tweeted it, you know, on the, on the one year anniversary, but I, I had done it last year on um, the fact that, you know, going back his, to his coaching roots, um, right. you know, a lot of the coaches that, that he, uh, that he was on staff uh, for, you know, they saw the different parts of his, um, acumen that kind of set himself up for the future, um, which was to lead his own program, you know, whether it was on the recruiting trail or just, you know, picking their brain about certain parts of building a program. And now you're, you're getting to see it for yourself. Um, you know, this year they didn't finish how they wanted to, you know, last place in the big 10 is exactly where they were predicted. I would say that the way the season started, like we've said many times on this podcast, that was not a last place in the big 10 team. You know, they went through injuries. They went through different COVID issues. Um, obviously they have a lack of depth in the first place. So, you know, that contributed to them falling into the bottom of the big 10. And there were some teams at the bottom, like Nebraska and Northwestern that were better than people thought. I would say though, that it's funny that the anniversary of his hiring comes on the day where he was in attendance at target center, watching uh, one of his recruits, Braden Carrington, advance in the state tournament um, because that's just who Ben is. You know, he's just not going to sleep. Uh, he's going to always be recruiting and trying to build his program. Yes, they've already got Braden Carrington, but just co coming out there and supporting him. Um, he, I heard he sent messages to all the uh, high school coaches that are uh, competing in the state tournament and wish them uh, good luck. And that just, it just uh, goes a long way, um, you know, to, to building like that support um you know and, and uh, with minnesota high school coaches players um you know he's going to take um you know a lot of time uh to repair what richard patino did as far as you know um not getting uh the best players in the state uh but he's off to a good start um and Braden carrington has a good chance to win a state championship this year so that's a really good image for the program i remember the last two players to win state titles for the gophers uh from minnesota Daniel Turu and Amir Kafi ended up doing pretty well uh, making the NCAA tournament in their freshman year. I don't know if that's going to happen <laughs> with this team, but you never know. With the transfer portal, um, they're hot on the portal right now. They could add up to four players uh, possibly with the portal. And, um, you know, I think they, they have the, the chance to make a big jump next year. Um, and lastly, I'll say is, you know, it's hard to build a program without uh, a piece, a huge piece, and they have that with Jamison Battle, who was their leading scorer last year from Minnesota. Uh, he's one of the better players in the Big Ten, and I felt like he was an all-Big Ten snub. I think he should have been one of, the, one of the 12 best players in the Big Ten. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he was all year, too, maybe hard when <clears throat> the team finishes as it did, but he carried them for stretches, and he is definitely 
a bright spot for the future. Well, Marcus, good stuff as always. Good catching up with you and uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Yeah, it should be fun. Thanks a lot. Good catching up with Marcus Fuller, as always, does a tremendous job, as do all of our writers covering the college basketball tournaments. We're going to have a ton of coverage next week of the Women's Final Four when it arrives um, a week from Friday, and so look for all of that as well. Let's finish with the cooler. Timberwolves lost to Phoenix on Wednesday night at Target Center. Like I mentioned, not a ton of shame in that Phoenix by far and away the best team in the league this season. They've withstood injuries and absences. Chris Paul was out last night. Didn't matter. They still beat the Wolves. Wolves were up by 13 at the break, but this became a chippy game towards the end of the first half. Phoenix kind of changed the the edge in this game, got the Wolves kind of into their own heads, and that's a dangerous place for them to be. That's that's where the Wolves are most vulnerable, where other teams have exploited their weaknesses and kind of caught them griping about the refs, getting too emotional. It's, it's a Carl Anthony Towns problem, and it filters on down. They try to keep themselves on task, but it got away from them on, uh, on Wednesday night. That was a game they could have won. That was a game they should have won. That was a game they were somewhat in control of until their emotions got the best of them and until Phoenix started to assert its will and show them how these games, these late-season games, these playoff games, how locked in you have to be. And I didn't think the Wolves were locked in in the second half. I could feel a vibe immediately from the start of that second half that Phoenix was going to make a run and maybe come back on them. They just didn't seem to have the intensity they needed. They didn't match Phoenix's urgency, energy, or execution. And that's a good lesson for them to learn, right? Better now than in the postseason, but... They have to learn that lesson soon because the playoffs are not far away. The play-in is likely to be the first step in that because losing these last two games to Dallas and Phoenix has pushed them further down in the standings. Likely to be the number seven seed, have a couple cracks in that play-in round to get into the postseason, to get into the playoffs. But they have to learn their lessons by the time they get to the playoffs because there are no do-overs once you get to the postseason. If you lose enough times, your season is over and the lessons extend to the next year. That will do it for today's show. Randy Johnson should be with me on Friday to talk college hockey. Gophers against UMass Friday night in the first game of the NCAA men's hockey tournament for them. Talk plenty of other Minnesota uh, college hockey storylines as well going into that tournament. So that should be a good conversation with Randy Johnson. Thanks so much for joining me here on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. We'll see you again on Friday.